Acts chapter 4, and we'll be studying here in just a moment, verse 32 through 37. One of my favorite moments in a recent NBA All-Star game happened during the pregame huddle. Coach Steve Kerr was standing there looking at all the incredible talent on his Western Conference All-Star team, trying to figure out what play to draw up for these All-Stars. And he's quoted as saying, all right, guys, I've got a great play plan for the first play of the game. Here it is. One of you guys get the ball and then like throw it to one of the other guys and then you throw it to someone else and then you shoot it. That's the play. I mean, what else are you going to tell Western Conference All-Stars? I would just say, give it to Steph Curry. That's the play. Of course, the entire huddle, he was mic'd up so that we were able to see it on TV, but the entire huddle just erupted in laughter because normally such a playful attitude doesn't exist in the huddle. It's intense. Coach has issues to address. He has real plays to call and the intensity is thick. It's obvious. I love it when they, they mic up the coach and kind of give us a glimpse in, into the, the huddle. In our text today, Luke is going to take us inside the huddle. You with me? He's going he's to call time out for a second. And he's going to show us what it looks like right now in the interior life of the church. See, the, the book of Acts regularly shows us what the church was like scattered from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's like the pace of a basketball game. The gospel is spreading through these places. The apostles are preaching and they're healing and they're planting churches. But as we read about the church scattered, occasionally in the book of Acts, Luke calls a time out. And he allows us glimpses into how things look inside the church gathered. This passage is one of those timeouts. And we get to go inside the huddle. What is Luke going to emphasize whenever he takes time to say, I want to open the doors to this church. I want you to see how they were thriving in their gathering. Think about it. He could emphasize all kinds of things. He could emphasize the communion. He could emphasize prayer. He could give us a glimpse into their singing or their powerful preaching or their fellowship. And all those things Acts talks about. But in this particular huddle, he gives us a snapshot of their generosity. Specifically, he's going to show us why they were so generous. He's going to show us how they were so generous. And he's going to show us what their generosity entailed. Now, if you're a guest here today at Fellowship, first of all, thank you for being here. I hope you feel welcome and blessed by the service Already, I genuinely mean that. But I want you to know our manner of preaching so that you don't think that we preach on money every Sunday. I started in the book of Acts chapter 1. That's four chapters ago. And we just kind of go verse by verse, unit by unit. And you happen to come on the Sunday that we're in verse 32 through 37. And Luke calls a time out and says, I want you to learn about generosity from this church. I'm not afraid to preach on money, though. I said, I'm not afraid to preach on money. When the Bible talks about it, I'll talk about it. So I want to give you kind of the main idea of the sermon up front. 
I like to do that sometimes so we know where we're going. And I, I like to have a thesis statement or, or kind of a big idea of the sermon condensed into one sentence. And that's what I want to do up front. And then let's go to work on it together. All right. Here it is. Generosity to you should produce generosity through you. Okay. Generosity to you should produce generosity through you. Let's, let's read the six verses we're going to study today. Verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. That means they just shared with each other. Verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them. And brought the prices of the things that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, by the apostles, was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Three questions that we're going to answer. Why were they so generous? How were they so generous? And what did their generosity entail? Number one, let's talk about why they were so generous. It had everything to do with their mindset. How they thought specifically about the things that they possessed. They thought about it selflessly. Study the word. Look at the first part of verse, uh, first part of verse 32 again. And the multitude of them that believed. Now, now don't miss that statement. It's very important, the big idea of the text. And the multitude of them that believed. It's speaking of the 3,000 that had been saved in chapter 2, plus the 5,000 that had been saved in chapter 4. I think that qualifies as a multitude. They were saved after they repented of their sin and after they believed in the gospel that they heard preached from the apostles. They came to a point of salvation. That is, they, they were forgiven of their sin through Christ. Well, what's the point in Luke starting that way? This is a message on generosity, not the gospel. Well, it's both. Because here's the point. Their generosity didn't start with what they gave. Their generosity started with what they were given. They were generously given the gospel. They were given the good news that their sins could be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And when they were, it motivated them to extend that same generosity to other people. That's what's different, friends, about Christian generosity as compared to secular generosity. Anybody can be generous. There are philanthropists everywhere in the world today. In the Midwest, I think of guys like the late T. Boone Pickens. He, he had a bad taste for colleges, but, but he invested heavily in the college. In fact, after yesterday, I think I might become an OSU fan. So I don't even know what I'm thinking right now. I need revival. If you think I'm happy, I'm faking it today. You know, he grew up in Oklahoma. He, he graduated from Oklahoma State. He gave millions and millions of dollars back to the college. And we know that was generous of him to do that. 
Many people have benefited from his generosity. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't a bad thing. But it was perhaps different than Christian generosity in its motivation. Outside of needing a tax write-off, he... He probably gave because he believed in the college. He felt indebted to the college for the opportunities it afforded him. And many have benefited from his generosity. So it's not wrong at all. But believers aren't motivated to give for the the, the sake of a tax break. Believers aren't motivated to give so that a building will be named after them. Christians are motivated to give because of what they've been given. What have we been given? Well, look at Romans 8, verse 32 on the screen. He, that's God, that spared not his own son, that's Jesus, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I know you think you're broke today, but through Jesus, you're rich. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. These believers gave with such radical generosity because God gave to them with such radical generosity. And look how the gospel transformed the way they thought about their possessions. Notice the end of verse 32. Neither said any of them that ought of the things that she possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. You need to get the gravity of this. The the gospel turned these believers into selfless people. They went from hoarding their possessions to sharing their possessions. And really, the text states it in a more radical way than that. They didn't even think of their possessions as being their own to begin with. How would that go in America today? We're talking about their houses. We're talking about their lands, the the possessions they work hard to get. Their land represented their wealth. It it represented their influence. It represented their security. It was used to grow crops. Land was used as leverage in business deals. Land meant influence and power. And yet these people, after they got saved, realized that none of it was really theirs. And think about this. Their land could have been handed down to them and probably was from previous generations. If that's the case, their last name was attached to the land. Just like if one of our farmers today who owns land, I see the Oilers, they they own a lot of land, he farms. When you drive by or people drive by Clinton and Laura's farms out there, they usually say something like this. Yeah, that's the Oilers land. They attach a name to their property. That's so-and-so's land. So for these believers to think about their land, which was attached to their family name, as not being their own land, is a mindset that can only be attributed to the gospel's transforming power. For somebody to go from being possessive to being very, very generous, something's working in them other than themselves. Yeah, this is where generosity begins for us. It begins with the right mindset, a mindset that's been transformed by the gospel, a mindset that that understands how much we've been given in Christ, a, a mindset that understands when we gave our lives to the Lord, we made him the ruler over everything we have, a mindset that no longer views ourselves as owners of our possessions, but as managers of God's possessions. See, as a pastor, when it comes to 
preaching on giving, I don't think the place to start is a message on tithing. What percentage you should give. We can all argue about that. It's, it's, it's not based on, here's how much blessing you'll get when you're faithful to God. That's not where we start. All those have their place and they're in scripture. I think the best place to start is how one thinks about money. Because until one thinks about money in the right way, they won't give in the right way. Until a believer learns that what they have is not their own, but it's God's, generosity will come very hard for them. Messages like this make them cringe. However, when a believer realizes everything they've been given to Christ, when they realize that everything belongs to Christ, even those things that they've worked hard for, generous giving for the sake of the gospel starts to become very natural and even joyful for them. So the obvious question that I need to ask you is this. How do you think about the things you possess? What's your mindset? How do you think about the money that you possess? How do you think about the investments that you possess? The stuff you possess, the time you possess, the influence you possess, the talents you possess, the children you possess. Do you think of yourself as an owner of these possessions or as a manager of these possessions? How you think about your possessions will determine about how hard or how easy it is to share your possessions. Let's move to the second question of the text. How did these believers give so generously? Look at verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. They were able to give so generously. Here's how. Because of God's grace at work in their lives. Do you hear me? See, as the apostles continue to teach the church about the resurrection, these individuals within the church learn that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ resided in them. Which meant this, they could give fearlessly, without hesitation, because the resurrection made them feel secure in the Father's love and care for them. Jesus Christ, I mean, if if God the Father could raise His Son from the dead, then these believers concluded that even if I sell my land or some of my possessions and give it to the church to take the care of of those in need, then God's going to take good care of me. They realized when we became in Christ through salvation, became a child of God, we came under the favor of God. And the grace of God was working in their life. And when they realized the grace of God working in them, the grace of God moved all the way down to their fingers and loosened their grip. Here's the point. When God's grace is at work, people get generous. This reality church makes me wonder today about professing Christians who never give. Do they truly understand the gospel? Do they understand grace? Because where grace is working, people are giving. Well, how do you know? Well, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 and 2 is a perfect example. Look at this. Moreover, brethren, 
We do you the wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That's a confusing way of saying, let me tell you about how the grace of God was working in these believers' lives. And here's how. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. The grace of God, watch here, was working in the lives of these believers and it caused them to be generous toward other believers and churches even though they themselves were struggling economically. You caught that in the verse, right? They gave liberally out of their deep poverty. That's the grace of God. But let's get more specific. What exactly is that grace? If that grace can help us be generous even during a tough economic time in which we're all living. What is that grace exactly? Drop down a few verses in chapter 8 to verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. I'm not talking about rich in our bank accounts, rich in Christ. He was despised by men so that we could be accepted by the Father. That's the grace that motivates and empowers us to give. Hear this. God loosened his grip on his own son for you. The least you could do is loosen your grip on your possessions for the sake of others. So we're back to our main idea. Generosity to you should produce generosity through you. Gracious generosity working in your life from God through Christ should produce a gracious generosity to other people. Well, well, Pastor Tyler, have you been living in the sand, man? Do you know the economy? Have you been to the gas pump lately? Have you been to the grocery store? Or does your wife do all those things? Well, I'm not going to answer that question. I feel the strain as much as you feel the strain. I'm wrestling with the same worries you are. And that's precisely why we all need the grace of God. The grace of God to help us remain generous in times like these. Left to our own, what are we going to do? We're going to stop giving through economic times. If all our retirement accounts are currently losing money, and don't freak out, it's going to rebound. We'll be all right. Hopefully Jesus comes before we ever even need that money. But, but it'll be fine. Don't freak out and don't stress your advisor out. Amen? All right, they, they paid me for that. I, I should see a bump in my... But, but hear me. You know what we're going to stop doing if we don't have the grace of God working in our lives? We're going to stop being generous. You know why? Because we are going to go into self-preservation mode. And we are going to hoard and we're going to clutch. And as we see us ourselves losing money, we're not going to give it away. Our money is leaking slowly because of inflation. We need the grace of God to not hoard. To not become stingy. To not start acting like we own our money. We don't own our money. God owns our money. We manage his money For him and for the sake of the gospel. And while there's wisdom to be used in times of financial scarcity and and the numbers and percentages perhaps attached to our generosity might have to be adjusted for a season by the grace of God. We don't have to stop giving during tough times. 
You don't have to become a consumer and not a contributor, a spectator, not a participant. You don't have to. You can still be a giver. In fact, I have found that giving generously during tough times is when we're able to experience the grace of God in the most richest of ways. I've just figured this. If the grace of God is keeping me saved during tough times, and it is, then the grace of God can keep me generous during tough times. And it will. We've seen why these believers are so generous. Because of their mindset, the way they thought about their money. We've seen how these believers are so generous. They recognize the grace of God working in their lives. And lastly, let's talk about what they're giving intel. Verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. That's an amazing phrase, by the way. I I don't know if that could be said about Fellowship Baptist Church. Neither was there any among them that lacked. By the way, that doesn't mean that everybody is rich or affluent. It means everybody had food on the table. See, we, we have totally, totally gotten out of whack in, in our, our redefining of terms today. We, we think that we are struggling if we only have one car. We think we're lacking. We think we're lacking if we can't like go buy new shoes for our kids whenever we want. Like we think we're lacking if, if we can't buy two pair of glasses from specs. We have to just do one. That's a bummer. Like we think we're, we're not lacking. We're in the top 1% of the world. Every single one of you here right now are rich according to the world standards. I'll just put it frank. I just think we whine sometimes. I think we whine sometimes. We, we, we don't really know what scarcity looks like. I'm not saying that it's easy for you right now. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying put it in perspective. Why didn't they lack? Why did everybody have food? Even when they got ran out of their communities. Even when they lost their jobs because of their faith. How did they have food? Well, look. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses. Stop. Not everybody possessed this type of land. It tells me that in the church of Jerusalem, there were some affluent people. There were some people who who were on a a different tax bracket. That God had showed financial favor to in a special way. Had a lot of land, had had a lot of crop, that kind of thing. Do you, I'm not afraid to say this at all. Do you know God blesses churches with affluent people? Churches aren't just supposed to be poor. You know that there are different tax brackets represented in here and that's okay. That's God's plan. If God has blessed you with wealth, it is not to make your life more convenient and more comfortable and let you retire earlier than the average person. That might be a reality, but that's not God's purpose. God places you in a body of Christ if you have affluence, if if you have riches. God expects you. He he puts a responsibility on you to share those possessions. And he does the same with the poor, by the way. Just because you're in a lower tax bracket doesn't mean you get to be stingy. Your percentages might be less, but your sacrifice should be equal. But if God has blessed you, with a great job or a flourishing business 
or intelligence that has allowed you to have a career that is flourishing, then he expects you to to use that for the sake of the gospel. Amen? Now, you can have a nice house and a nice car, and that's all great, but, but make sure you're giving. All right, we're back at 34. None of this is in my notes. I'm just going off here. For as many were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the prices of the lands that were sold, verse 35, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Let's, let's study the extent of their generosity. They made sacrifices to meet the needs of other people. Now, Luke said that, that everyone thought the same about this. Did you notice that up in verse 34 that they were all in one heart and one soul about how they thought they should share with each other? So there was not a church member in the congregation that disagreed with this kind of generosity. There's no one that raised their hand and said, hey, I think we're getting a little bit, uh, we're going overboard here. I think we need to slow this down. Can we, ha- can we have a financial report? I think think we're giving away too much money here. I think this is irresponsible. No one thought that. Everybody had this in common. If somebody is in need, and I'm not saying that if they need a second car. If someone's genuinely in need, they need food or they need clothing or they need shelter. We're going to do what we can and sacrifice what we have to, to make sure our brother and sister can have what they need. This was the extent everyone was on board with this. We study these numbers in our church on a quarterly basis. This last quarter, 70%, 70% of our members gave regularly. 70%. As a pastor, I long for the day when that number reaches 100%. When everybody has the same heart and same mind about giving for the sake of the gospel. But not only would everyone share this perspective, they were willing to share all the time. Every time somebody was in need, they were provided for by another church member. That's why the verse said, neither was there any of them that lacked. Because when a need arose in the church, the need was met. By the way, this is why it's really important for all the church members and even attenders that, that benefit from the ministry of Fellowship Baptist Church to give systematically. To give regularly. Because we don't know when those needs will arise. And so apparently, when needs arose, they had what they need at the apostles' feet to distribute to those folks that needed and to keep the work of the gospel in the church moving forward. Now, I know that this example of generosity isn't like to be applied literally in the sense that like we need to Sell our houses, our lands, our cars, everything, and then just come lay it at Pastor Tyler's feet. I mean, there are a couple things I would like to buy right now if you, whatever, however God leads you. But that's not the, that's not the application. We know that. The application is this. We ought to share their spirit of sacrifice. And generosity. Okay, so Pastor Tyler, if that means I don't need to go sell my house and. And drop, it the, and drop the earnings in the offering plate next week. What does it mean exactly? What does that look like for the New Testament believer right today? Well, I'll just be practical. I'll just use the offering envelope. It says, my tithes and offerings unto God through Fellowship Baptist Church. I do believe that laying it at the apostles' feet and entrusting them to distribute that accordingly is precedent for, for giving through the local church. Not to the exclusion of it. Through the local church to meet the needs of the church. 
But, but on the very top is tithe. That word tithe means the tenth. So we take that from scripture. It's 10% of your income. And this is what we would call the general account, the general operational fund. So, so, so if you make $100 this week, then, then you would tithe $10. And, and the church would, would use that to meet the needs of God's house and God's people. And tithe is very, very important. That, that it's, very, it's, it's very important for your obedience to Christ. See, I found that, that when Christians can't get over that hurdle of like regularly tithing, it's like, it's also like their Christian growth is just stunted. Like you you got to get over that hump. You got to learn how to give when it's hard to give. And for some who have never given 10% of your income, you're probably scared to death right now. Because you're thinking, Dude, I've lived on 100. I've really lived on 110%. How am I going to live on 90%? I can barely live on 100% right now. Well, you're going to have to learn how to steward your finances in such a way where, where the kingdom of God is put first. And it's a lifestyle adjustment. It's a lifestyle adjustment. Well, the church, you just, you just want to get rich. No, we don't. I can promise you this right now. No one's getting rich around here. But the Bible does say that, that God uses the giving of people so that the church can do the work of the gospel. We can't turn on the lights if we don't have a general operational fund. We get that. We get that. But then there's missions. We're on track to give over $370,000 to missions this year. That's on top of tithe. That's amazing to me. Because a lot of churches, they just take like 10 or 15% out of the tithe and then distribute it to missionaries around the world. We take, we, we, we use it as an offering on top of the tithe. It's amazing to me. I love that. And right now we're like, at fair and help me, like 108%. 108% of our commitment that was made last April. Man, Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. In fact, I just met a church planner at this pastor's retreat I I was at. Um, At dinner, I sat beside him. His name is Donald, and and he just planted a church in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, in the New England area. And because I looked at our report and I found that our missions is so healthy right now, our missions account is so healthy. You know what I did? I I said, Donald, we're going to send you a check. He began to tell me about the souls that were being saved and things that would happen in the church. I'm like, man, I'm going to take this back to the pastoral staff. We're going to talk about this and we're going to, we're going to find a way to get behind your ministry. If we didn't have a missions fund, I couldn't do that. I love that. That's the way you sacrifice, by the way. You could just, you could just say, I'm going to drink one less Starbucks drink a week. Sacrifice. For some of you, it's Dr. Pepper, some of you, Daylight Donut. For some of you, I don't know what it is. A cigarette, whatever. You're going to go one less and, and, and you're going to give it to missions. You can give it to missions. Sacrifice. There's a, there's a slot for bus ministry on there. Brother Dylan, stand up for a second. I don't know if you guys know Dylan. He's also a scooter cop. <laughs> Dylan's our fifth and sixth grade elementary school teacher. And he's doing an amazing job. First year teaching and he's killing it. He's awesome. He's a godsend. Uh, he's married to Courtney. I don't see her back there. They just had Arlo. He's in charge of our bus ministry. Every, you can be seated. Thank you, Dylan. Every Sunday morning, we have a crew of volunteers and we need more. And they take out three buses and they pick up kids around our community and bring them into church. Our, that's how my dad got saved in this church as a teenager. He became the pastor of the church. If it wasn't for things like the bus ministry, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. And it's harder. Let's just be honest. It's really hard 
for parents to send kids today on a bus into a church they don't know about. It's way harder today than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So our numbers probably won't ever be like what they were back in the heyday when, when parents just let your kids roll around on a floorboard. That's the good old days where, where mamas didn't wrap our kids in bubble wrap and give them an inhaler before they went to school. But we're like, you know, band-aids was like the duct tape of the day. Put on a band-aid and let's go. But now it's like urgent care, urgent care. It's pathetic. Anyway, bus ministry, going back to bus ministry. You can get, you can get $5 a week to bus ministry. $100 a month to bus ministry. We buy candy for those kids. We, we do outdoor neighborhood events for those kids. We bring them in for vacation Bible school. Those funds will go to helping our bus ministry be more effective. FBA and LLA, that's the largest missions effort we have in Fellowship Baptist Church. 115 students come here five days a week, seven hours a day. And they get a Bible-centric education. Teachers that teach full-time, that have sacrificed 25, 30, 40% of their income to come teach at a Christian academy. That helps us to go forward. Sacrifice. There's a moving forward account. You see that the, the four years all messed up today. If you're a guest, it's because we're doing a bunch of work in there. We didn't have those windows like three weeks ago. And, and now we're getting a new floor this week. And that's because of the moving forward account. We want to be able to move forward with carpet and paint and updates. And it's a sacrifice. There's special offerings. There's other pastor's golf membership. Um, <laughs> Things like that, just whatever God leads you to do there. That's how it shows up, friend. That's how, that's how sacrifice shows up. I'm not asking you to sell your house. I'm asking you to put God first with your income. Even during tough times, the grace of God can help you do that. You might have to start really small and grow in your giving. That's okay. Everybody's on a different journey. But start somewhere today. And some of you Christians, maybe you've fallen off and you need to get back at it because the economy has scared you half to death. It's eaten up your fun money. And so whatever extra money you get, you're using it to travel. And the work of God is not, not being put first. Another practical way that you can give is just your time, like trunk or treat. We need 40 trunks, we have like 25. Well, man, I, I want to walk my kids around and it's a traditional sacrifice. Sacrifice. Well, dude, don't you know how many other ministries I'm involved in? Sacrifice. Why? Because a thousand invitations will be given to Fellowship Baptist Church that night. Why? Because probably over 2,000 people will step foot on our property that night. Tell me a gospel opportunity bigger than that. In an hour and a half, we get to give the gospel to over a thousand people and we don't even have to leave our church. I think the whole church should show up for this thing. If 2,000 people are coming to your house, you're going to need some help. We need some help. Sacrifice. I could go on and on. I I, I won't because I'm going to get to meddling. But the bottom line is, the extent of their Christian generosity could be summed up in one word. Sacrifice. 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 We'll sacrifice for all kinds of things. The work of God ought to be top on our list. Not because nobody needs to get rich, but because God's house needs to be taken care of and God's work needs to go forward. He ended the, the message, or, or the text rather, with, with giving us an example. He said his name's Barnabas. 
Now, he could have given, Luke can give all kinds of examples. He probably gave the name Barnabas as an example of a generous giver because Barnabas would become a main character in the book of Acts. You can study, just go, go home this afternoon and just Google Barnabas. And almost everywhere his name is attached, he is being an encourager to somebody. His real name was Joseph. They nicknamed him Barnabas, those people that he went to church with, because that means encourager. That's what they thought of when they saw this guy. He's always given. Always given. I mean, he went and sold his lands and gave it. But in other places, he like vouched for people that, that he said, I'll take him with me. People that even the, the great apostle Paul quit on. Barnabas like, no, nah, I'll take John Mark. I'll take him. He was just an encourager. If, if, if people in your church gave you a nickname today, based on their impression of you, would they say you're Barnabas? If the church leaders... Like the apostles gave Joseph the nickname. Would they look at you and say, yep, there's a giver. Always given their time. Always given their talent. Always given their their hard-earned income. They're just givers. Would that be your nickname at Fellowship Baptist Church? Let's revisit our main idea. Here it is. Generosity to you should produce generosity through you. I want to give you a very tangible way in conclusion to practice generosity this week. You ready? I want you to remind yourself of the gospel and everything you've been given in Christ so that you'll more naturally and joyfully give to others. So I want you to preach the gospel to yourself this week. Would you do that? I want you to be the, 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 the number one voice in your life. I want you to preach the gospel this week. Well, preach the gospel? What do you mean? Why preach the gospel? Because no one influences you more than you do. Because no one talks to you more than you talk to yourself. So, here's the gospel. Watch here. Put that verse on there, Colin. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Here's what I want you to do. Every time you make a financial transaction this week, you might slide a credit card. You might write a check. You might give a $20 bill. Every time, and you're, you're actually going to make a lot more financial transactions than you probably even realize when you start paying attention to it. Every time you make a financial transaction, I want you to preach the gospel to yourself. Now, you don't have to quote this verse, but here's what you need to say. Put it up there, Colin. Do I, I have a slide for that? Okay, here's what you need to say. Jesus has made me rich. That's it. That's that verse in a nutshell. Jesus has made me rich. So when you, go, when you go buy lunch today and you slide your card and you pay for lunch or you, you leave the tip for a waiter, whatever, you, you, you preach the gospel to yourself. Jesus has made me rich. Okay? Tonight when you eat supper, if you pay for it, Jesus has made me rich. When you go and fill up your car with gas, you put your credit card in. Jesus has made me rich. And he has made you rich. Why, why do we do that? Because you get what you repeat. And if you will repeat the gospel to yourself enough, you'll repeat how generous that that God has been to you through Christ, you will start to be generous to others because generosity to you will produce generosity through you. If you're having a hard time in these economic times giving, then preach the gospel to yourself all week long and see what God does. And you might realize just how many times you're swiping your credit card and it might help your finances on top of that. Jesus has made me rich. And I'm broke. (laughs)
I want the band to come. Would you guys come? Instead of a, a traditional invitation, I want us to sing our way out of church today. And you can pray if you want. The altars are always open. But, but instead of, of that invitation, I want us to sing the gospel to ourselves. And I want us to sing about how Jesus made himself poor so that we could be rich. How he allowed his body to be broken on a cross so ours would never have to be. How he endured death, hell, and the grave so that we could live a victorious life. If you are thankful for what Jesus has done for you, this song should resonate in your heart. Would you stand to your feet? Let's